This episode is brought to you by Indie Insights, our bi-weekly newsletter and love note to independent film. Inside, you'll find tools, tips, and tricks vetted by industry professionals, independent films that will inspire your creativity, filmmaking events where you can rub elbows with filmmakers just like you, and so much more. The best part of it all, it's absolutely free. All you have to do is go to www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe. And within a few clicks, you'll be part of our newsletter community. Again, that's www.banzai.film forward slash subscribe to get Indie Insights, a free bi-weekly newsletter from Chris and Nick at Bonsai Creative. You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps creatives in film get where they're going faster by sharing the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives across the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I have my co-founder and good friend with me, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. Hello, hello. Good to be back, man. Once again, I like your blue cap, bro. I like that. I appreciate it, man. So there is a thing going on in fashion right now, Mm. especially around hats. Um, I'm not sure how it started or when it started. Maybe it started with uh, succession. It could have been sort of um, hyped up by, uh, you know, David Sachs from from All In Pod fame. Um, there's a few other. It could it could just simply be Jeremy Strong as a dude, like his vibes as a dude that people enjoy that started this like hat craze. The reason I take umbrage. Uh, take a little bit of not umbrage. I'm just the wrong word. The reason I kind of have to have to chuckle at it a little bit actually, and like wink at it, is because I've been a hat guy from day one. Like I've been wearing hats on this podcast for four years. Um, I've been wearing hats as like a dude forever, and always like for the most part, if it's not like a baseball cap, where it's like the Yankees or whatever or the Braves, it's been you know, this sort of non-branded look. Um, I don't know if you can tell in the video, but like this hat is made like of like felt. <laughs> like it's, it's like a very soft, nice unbranded hat. And I'm not, you know, uh, I would recommend everybody get one. I mean, they, they go with everything. You know where it could have started? could have started Jay-Z. Jay-Z. Yeah. I mean, so, early so you're on saying, was like so big on the, big on the like thing, the fitted. Though. But yeah, but you're saying it's a thing though. Like, there's a fashion thing now because, like you said, we've been wearing hats. Yeah, for that a was long only time. in hip hop. You're so. right. Yeah, that was that was in hip hop. But now what's happening is is it's this whole like, you know, get a very very nice unbranded hat, get a 
understated sweater where the secret to the sweater is that it's like 100% cashmere and, uh, and, and probably cost a thousand dollars, um, you know, have some, you know, Laurel Piana slacks on and you basically look like you're not trying, but if you know, you know <laughs> that that guy's wearing $10,000 uh, yeah, worth of clothes. It's so yeah. ironic. You're being That's ironic. what's happening. Yeah. There's actually a, fr- there's actually <laughs> like a ironic. word that, that like GQ actually gave it a name and I'm trying my best to remember the name they gave this new style movement. Um, and if I remember it, God, I'll, maybe I'll have producer at least put it in the show notes or something, but like, it's a yeah. perfect, perfect name for like this quote unquote movement of basically so, so here's, here's how they explain it. I don't remember the name, but, but I remember their explanation. So here was their explanation to this movement, basically society. And we're going to talk about this in today's culture check, <laughs> culture basically, check. So, basically society has shifted and they have a sensitivity to billionaires, people who are ultra wealthy, me and you are not ultra wealthy, but there is a sensitivity to people who are ultra wealthy. And so was that caused by Donald Trump? Was it caused by Elon Musk? Was it caused by someone else like Bezos? Like who was it caused by? Certainly not Richard Branson. He's always been cool. Uh, even though he's a billionaire, was it Bill Gates and, and his meddling in other countries and all the things he does for good or evil? No one knows. Um, we, we're not sure. But we do know that two decades ago, a billionaire could look like a billionaire. They could go out, roll up in a very expensive car. They could have on an ICI a suit. Uh, you know, they could they could um, be, you know have on two thousand dollar loafers, like whatever. Like you could do that, and it could be very flashy. Basically, like you could look like Bruce Wayne. Like think about how Bruce Wayne looked in the latest Flash movie. Like you could look like that. And today that's not appreciated. Like you have kids out there throwing yellow paint on shit like that and, and like getting away with not even going to jail for it. And it's not a U.S. thing, but it's like a global thing. And so what these ultra rich are doing is they're, they're switching up. They're starting to like buy clothes that look like they are um, like they got them maybe from a thrift store or clothes that like fit into the everyman coffee drinker. But the underlying thing is that they're getting them from uh, the top brands and they are made of top material. So, so it's become this movement of, yeah, I'm rich, but I don't want to show you that. So I just take it back and and let the people know. See, this is what happens when you compliment Chris on his hat. So I did, bro. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I got this whole thing about hats and rich people. I'm like, it's just a nice hat. That's it. That's all. This nice hat, bro. That's it. Did you? But thank learn you for something? that. I appreciate that. Thank you. Did you learn something? I'm educated. I gotta go okay. look up that GQ article now. <laughs> yeah, that's what that's what I do. You ask, you compliment my hat, you mm-hmm. get depth of knowledge mm. and you get maybe more than you asked for mm. <laughs> but, but but doesn't every man want that uh, like if, if if two girlfriends are talking in a bar and you're like hey how was nick 
he was more than a Hess for. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a good thing or a bad thing, bro. You know what I'm oh, saying? Oh, yeah, right? yeah, that is true. That's that true. Be it would be contextualized. Like, like uh, how was he How, it, it, how was he at dinner? The, 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 more than a Hess for. Right, exactly, yeah. <laughs> how was he in the bedroom? More than a more than a Hess yeah, for. Yeah, you I, know, like, yeah, yeah, I hear you, yeah. <laughs> I'm full. Right, let's, let's, yes, let's, no, <laughs> let's get into the topics. <laughs> what do we got? What do we got for today? Hit me up. Well, anyway, I look. Um, I don't know when this is going to publish, but you know, full disclosure, we're like recording this. Uh, what is this? The end of June? I cannot believe half the year is gone already. Wow, dang man, time is flying. Feels yeah. like, but we're but we're putting a lot into it, and I think up to this point, um, we've released uh, a great conversation with Sophie Holland. Uh, uh, recent mistake in the making with with our, our buddy friend of the podcast matt williams yep and matt did a really courageous thing so i just wanted to like highlight it just briefly as a side item not as a, like an official topic or anything but just as a side item i thought he did a really courageous thing and kudos to matt for saying the truth i think most of our mistakes in the making guests do say a truth, but they say a version of the truth, right? And without us, if you're familiar with that series, Nick and I do not speak on this thing. This is just the creative talking directly to you, the audience. And so if me and Nick were speaking to these people, we would be able to push them on a topic and get to the root of it. We'd be able to interject and say, go more on that. Talk more about that. Like, how did you feel? Were you scared? Um, were you ambitious about this? Were you, were you concerned you didn't have enough funding or enough skill to do that or this? And there's been a few mistakes in the making where I thought to myself, man, I wish I could, I wish that I could just ask them about that because I feel like there was more there and they didn't want to go there. Right. And I understand not wanting to go there, but Matt was just simply saying like, look, people helped me out a lot on my short film gateway. But by the time I got all the help that I asked for, or maybe even needed, I had lost the thing I was so excited about making. And that can happen in creative and, and it sort of spins out of your control. It's like, reminds me of the Simpsons episode where Homer meets his rich lost brother who owns a car dealership. And he gives Homer the ability to make his own car. And so Homer throws everything into the car and it ends up being a monstrosity because every single feature is represented. Every single potential desire from a user or a driver is, is represented. And the car is just flat out fugly. It's, it's like, it's the ugliest car ever. It's super expensive because it has every option in there and it ruins his brother's career and, and good name and brand and everything else in company. And, I think sometimes that's what happens when you take too much advice, too much help, but it's also kind of what happens when you're not concise in your own vision in the beginning. And that's why we were saying, Nick, like, if you don't have a good idea of what you want to do, people will find avenues to show you this is what you want to do. They will create a vision for you. You know, if somebody sees a brick missing in a wall expect someone to either tear the wall down or find a brick to put in that spot. That's just human nature. We're like, Oh, this wall is missing a brick. 
and now it's a complete wall. And one of the people that he is talking about at the beginning of that is me. Like people may not know this, but I co-wrote the short film. And in my mind, I wasn't at all upset about it whatsoever because I know that when we left our writer's session, the script was better than when he, I got it. And when we worked there, you know, together um, or when he brought it to me and we worked uh, in a workshop together on it. But here's the thing. Did it change the vision? Probably. Because anytime you take away words, I think we went from 18 pages to 11 pages. Anytime that happens, it's a new project with a new vision. And now it's our vision. And so there is this debate, I think, in creatives of, do I do this on my own and do it exactly my way? And Nick, we have worked with a lot of filmmakers that are like this. Yeah, I'm just going to do it my way. And if it sucks, it sucks. Or do you enlist the sound advice of people who are experienced and will lead you towards a better creative output? But now you have to share the credit and you have to share the vision. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when I listened to that as well, I, I really thought about what Michael McRae said, which we talked about recently on an industry insight, uh, which is be intentional. And one of the first things that you can do to be intentional or that you should do is basically define your core values. So when I think about, you know, what Matt was doing, and I think where things got lost for him, I think was potentially that he didn't define his core values. I think that that project in itself, I think had two to three different purposes. So when it has two to three different purposes, each person that comes in and gets involved might want to emphasize the one that they think is the most important. Right. Yeah. So then you start to go, one person takes it a little bit more to the left. The other person takes it to the right. The other, you're trying to keep it on center. And at the end, maybe it hits one of those a little bit more than the others. Maybe it doesn't hit any, maybe it hits all three, who knows? Um, but it's not quite the thing that you wanted it to be because you hadn't properly defined the core values. What is the core intent of this project? And then it's, you know, to your point, other people get involved. It gets very easy for it to go, you know, different ways. So again, back to what you said about him being honest. I think that it's awesome that he was able to have that reflection on it. And hopefully he can take that and really use it as a lesson learned, right? Because there's so many different things you could look at there. Like what, what did he learn? Did he learn, Hey, I'm gonna do this on my own from now on. Or did he learn I need to have the core values or did he learn these are the types of people that I want to work with in the future that I think compliment me more, right? There's so many different ways you could go with that lesson. So either way, I just hope that whatever lesson he learned does take him, you know, further in his career. I hope the lesson that he learned is that by having a concise vision, you know who to say yes to and who to say no to what suggestions are relevant and valid and what suggestions aren't. I know in my own career and even going back to my, you know, my, I would say my own careers, being deeply engaged in a domain and uh, going very, very deep in any given domain. And I'm, I'm just here to tell you guys something obvious. Maybe you all know it. Maybe you don't. There's no subject that you can't go super deep on. It can be burgers. 
It could be grilling burgers. It could be watches. It could be cars. It could be film. It could be television. It could be sports. You can surface level that stuff and, you know, read an article about it <laughs> on the internet, or you can go super deep into the domain where you know so much about that particular thing. You start to ask different questions and you start to talk about it in a way that seems very opaque to other people who are listening to you because you just know so much about it. So I think when you're writing something and you're choosing to be the director and the producer as well, you have to be super deep in your domain so that you know what's valid and what's not. And it becomes very simple. But if you're not deep in the domain, all advice sounds good. Like all suggestions sound good. And so that's what I hope is like he learned less like, hey, I'm going to be really concise in my vision and I'm going to be super deep in the domain that the thing is about so that when someone, so that when my trusted circle has a piece of advice for me or a suggestion, I'll know, hey, no, that, that kind of takes me away from what I'm trying to do here. Or, oh, that works perfectly. That, that, that is perfectly parallel with the theme of this thing. The other thing we, um, that I wanted to mention was something that in, a, in the conversation we had with Sophie Holland, you know, elite casting director, um, the Witcher Wednesday, many more has got a huge thing with Idris Elba coming up as well. She talked about how, um, every actor is good, but what wins in casting and what wins in auditions and self tapes is when you can bring yourself into a character and I just had never heard it put the way that she put it. And I thought about how difficult it is to actually do that. I think the instinct for most people is to say, I want to become this character. So you're taking this character and bringing it into yourself. Right. But the opposite is what you have to do. You have to take yourself. What's special and authentic about you that no one else can, can, duplicate and replace into the words that are on the page that represent this character. I think that's something Denzel Washington does better than anybody in recent memory. Because when I think about Denzel, every Denzel movie I watch, it just looks like it's Denzel. It's Denzel being a spy. It's Denzel being a lover. It's Denzel being a, a boxer. It's Denzel being Malcolm X. It's Denzel, you know what I mean? Like, it just feels like, him just being him, you know, in every, in, in every single role that, that he's, he's ever played. I don't think, wait, did Denzel, I don't know if Denzel did Malcolm X. I can't remember. Yeah, Was of course. It? Yeah. Yeah. He did. Yes. Yeah. He did that. Yeah. I thought, didn't Will Smith, didn't Will Smith take a stab at it too, though? No. Isn't he going to do a Malcolm Ali. X? No. I know, but I think Malcolm, I think Will Smith. I mean, he could do Malcolm X. Do yeah. That, I think he's going to do Malcolm X. But but yeah, 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 so there's yeah, the balance Denzel. with that, I think. But do you see what I'm saying so about I, that, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I see that, but I, I see something a little bit different. So let me just give you an example of why I say it's different. So okay. when I see Denzel, I see Denzel embodying the character in such a way that I see it's believable to me. Yeah. Right? That the Denzel that I know from so many other things is this character. Okay. That's, yeah. that's what I see. That's why he, his voice, his mannerisms, they all work with those characters. That's when he's bringing himself into it where I yeah. kind of, I don't see that where that same, if you, if you're to use that same language about it's Denzel, it's Denzel. 
is The Rock. When I see The yeah. Rock, I see The Rock. Doesn't matter what character he's playing, I see The Rock. It's The Rock. It's not the character, right? It to me, that's when The Rock mm. is just playing Same, I, these I characters. Agree. You know what I'm saying, right? So for me, yeah, Denzel is the embodiment of this character. It's like no one else could have been that but Denzel. Whereas The Rock plays mm. these roles, and I'm just like, it's just The Rock again. You know, it's just The Rock being The Rock. There's nothing yeah. really different that's happening. He's not embodying the character. They're just giving The Rock, who is a character in himself, a role in the film. Right? So now yeah. it's not whoever his name is in the film. It's The Rock. Whereas when I see Denzel, it's not Denzel's name. It's whoever that character is. He has embodied every good, bad, ugly thing about that person. But every one of Denzel's natural mannerisms and natural approaches seems to fit that character so well. And I think it's because Denzel's a natural chameleon. You know, he in himself mm. can just do that and shift and move. Whereas, again, someone like The Rock is just The Rock in a different outfit. Yeah, Denzel won his award for training day, won his Academy Award for training day. And, yep. you know, we hadn't seen him be a villain like that before. And you're right. He kind of almost transmuted into this thing that we yes. had never seen him be before. Well, but same thing with Malcolm X, man. I mean, jeez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which he should have won for and 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 yep. he you know but at the same time he still moved at the pace of denzel like exactly. you just watch denzel right. in real life he yep. still had the movement and speed and smoothness of just denzel a good example right by the way of what you're saying about the rock is this movie called get shorty which is has john mm -hmm. travolta in it the rock yep. is in that movie and he's not playing a big tough guy necessarily he's playing a you know guy who wants to be an actor it's a little bit meta actually and some of the things he's auditioning for are like oh it's the rock doing a female script for an audition not right. here's this character doing a female script for an audition and Right. The reason it's meta is one, that's kind of where the rock was early in his career. And then two, it's like, we're supposed to get the fact that, Oh, it's the rock doing a female. Cause it wouldn't be funny right. if he wasn't yeah. such a big <laughs> tough guy. Like, Oh, exactly. it's the rock doing a female script for an audition. That's funny. Like there's comedy right. baked into that. So it's pretty good. Anyway, just a couple of thoughts about that. Please go listen. You can, find those episodes, um, those yeah, pieces of content on our YouTube page. Just search for Make It Podcast. You can find the audio anywhere you listen to great podcasts, Apple, Spotify, whatever. Uh, I just saw where Stitcher, I think, has decided to fold up camp. That's uh, weird, but uh, I guess for in the meantime, you can find it on Stitcher as well. And certainly yeah, on iHeart. YouTube.com um, slash YouTube at Make It Podcast. That's it. At Make It Podcast. Yep. That's the best way to find us. Yeah, you won't. You will not regret a subscribe to Make It Podcast right. uh, on uh, on YouTube. Yeah, we do a lot of a lot of cool stuff there, and uh, we're just going to keep building that thing and making it even a better, better, uh, a, a, a more and more better place for um, uh, the community uh, that that joins us and subscribes. I love the sort of community building tools in YouTube uh, on YouTube as well, where you can just like send very specific things only to your subscribers. Uh, so it almost negates in some ways the need for a Patreon uh, because you can just talk to your subscribers and, and give them little special 
pieces of content and, and things like that. So definitely subscribe because we have a lot of that stuff coming. Uh, on the docket today might feel like a couple of like obvious things, um, but they're still going on. So we have to talk about them. Uh, one would be AI and it's sort of continued. Um, it's continually pervasive in all things in the world right now. You, it's, it's not a conversation that goes away easily. And the writer's strike as of this recording is still going on. And it just feels like the two sticking points are how to deal with AI and the payment schedule. And I think those two are, are highly related. And then later on, of course, we'll, we'll talk about um, something we haven't spoke about yet, which is Apple Vision Pro. And it's kind of like we're getting ahead of it which I love because then we can go back to this episode and see if our predictions were right. And, and if everything we're saying has any validity because the product itself doesn't come out until, until next year. So most people are like, okay, that came out. Cool. We'll wait and see what happens. But that's not what we do here in the make it podcast. We get ahead of things and, and make some predictions and, and put our money where our mouth is. But I do want to talk about AI a little bit, but before we get into that, we should bring, producer Papa Bear on to give us the latest edition of things we should know. Nick, are you ready for this week's, <laughs> this Indie Talks, things we should know? I'm always ready, but I never know. So let's go. <laughs> I never, yeah, I never know. Yeah, I thought, wait, you know, we had the, listen, we had the, la we got the last one pretty much right. So yeah, we, yeah. Got, we got close. We got close. Yeah. Or we yeah. got close. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, you're talking about the strike. In what year was the first WGA strike, and how long was it? Well, I think I know the 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 sort of time frame. range of this or frame, <laughs> but getting the exact year and the length of the strike feels very close to impossible. Nick, do you feel the same way? Man, so here's the thing. This is what I love about it, you know, is that mm -hmm. I may not know the answer, but I'm going to learn okay. something. Right? Just like I just taught you something about these hats. <laughs> right, there you well, go. You know, so. I'll give you wiggle room on how long it was. We need wiggle room on the first part. <laughs> <laughs> you, not, you know, it's all good. No, the, no, no, no. Uh, it's all good. It's our, it's our goal to guess here. Um, you let the, let the audience kind of think about it themselves. Of course, they're out there googling it. You know, you know that's gonna, that's what's, that's what's up. But it's all good. Well, look, look. We, some listen, time to let me say something about that. Let me say something about that, Nick. Now we cannot police mm -hmm. this audience. People are going to Google or they're not going to Google. But if you're playing along in the audience, Scouts Honor. Look, we're not Googling it. We're not going to uh, bard this. We're not going to GPT this. You keep the same promise and just play along. It makes it a lot more fun. Just see if you got the answer right. Because think about where we're at now. Two of the most famous shows of all time, Wheel of Fortune and um, uh, Jeopardy. Jeopardy. Where would they be if you weren't yelling the answer at your TV? And instead you're like, 
typing away to get the answer. I just think it like, what's the point? Then why even watch the show? It's about what you know because you you read, right? Or you saw. That's all. Yep. So we Make shall it fun see. For yourself and, yeah, we and shall we shall see what happens yeah. again. You know, there's a, there's an itch, man. It's like a twitch. You know, how can you not grab that phone real, you know, feverishly text it out, you know, figure that thing out. That's right. It's an itch and a twitch to to get into the information highway. So we'll see. But anyway, we're going to learn something new. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. And don't let anyone send it to you. You can't call a friend. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. 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 No, no, no no lifelines, unfortunately. (laughs) PB, thank you. Thank you very much. And we will come back to you. All right. Towards the end of this conversation, by the way, Vanna White, she's the person that flips the letters on the uh, on the Wheel of Fortune. She's lawyering up, man. Yeah, I know. I know. I don't even, I don't even talk about Pat, it, man. Pat Sajic, he retired. I don't even. And don't now even they're talk talking about, about removing her. No. I don't want to talk about it either. I just want to say this one thing, which is I love you, Vanna. I've always loved Vanna White. Everybody's had everybody has at some point. I'm sure. Exactly. But she's just here's the best, the, here's the the best point. job. The thing I admire so much about Jerry Seinfeld and his show is that he left when he was the highest rated show on television. There's nothing worse than not knowing when your time is up, when it's time to pass the mantle. And I think Fanna, it's probably time to just ride off into the sunset. But but at the same time, it's your job, and do you have a right to like try to keep your job and work as long as you want to? I I don't know if you have the right. I mean, it's somebody else's dime. It's a network decision uh, for for part of it. But but the idea that you have this legacy and. And you want to, you sort of want to die on this hill. Um, that's all. I just, I love the idea of when you have the self-awareness to know we've done about as much as we were, we were supposed to do on this. And we said what we wanted to say and we did what we wanted to do. And we did it at a very high level and no one can ever take it away from us. Yeah. To me, it's so, just, Seinfeld it, understood it. There's, there's other stuff there that, you know, again, you're talking about one Avenue that I guess is in the news. And the other one is that, you know, she's been underpaid for 18 years because she hasn't gotten a raise. And that's why she's lowering her, lawyering up is because she wants that money. Now, I don't want to get into it because, you know, there's it begs the question as to why she didn't ask for it 18 years ago or 17 years ago or 16 years ago or 15 years ago or 14 years ago. I love when you answer your own questions. Yeah. So it's just just I don't it's just one of those things where it's like, you know what? That let that scandal or whatever that thing is, let that be over there while we talk about other important stuff. That's all. Yeah, let's talk about important stuff like AI, because one thing that's happened lately is you started to see a lot of writers who are sort of waiting for the strike to resolve itself, but they have to stay sharp. They have to stay polished. So they're writing. They're not, they're not pitching anything. You know, they're not scams, but they have to write to stay busy and to stay sharp and to stay good. And they're starting to come out of the woodwork and, you know, one by one say, hey, you know what? I'm not supposed to like AI. AI is is a big problem for us, but it has made me a superhero. It is, I am a super powered writer now. 
I never have writer's block anymore. Um, with the right prompts, I get the right suggestions. They get me going. Um, it can do frameworks for me where I just have to fill in the, you know, the parts that make it human. And it just begs the question and, and you know, should, you know, should AI be considered the enemy here if the output is that these writers are even better than they already are? And the content over the last 10 years has been, especially on the television side, has been incredible, has been otherworldly. Um, if it speeds up the process of someone being great, you know, maybe that's not too bad. Now, look, I've said in our newsletter and on episodes that I think it's a shame that people are, there's a lot of tech bros and infoists that are short selling humans. I wouldn't short sell a human. There are lots of ways this thing can go and it all has to do with human involvement. Like think about this as powerful as AI is, it could stop tomorrow with the decision of a handful of human beings. Think about that. Friend of the podcast, Tiffany Schlain, inventor of the Webby Awards, writer of the best-selling book, 24-6. She has an op-ed that says the best thing tech ever did was create the off switch. The off switch is the ultimate protection, right? Elon Musk has said his little Tesla bot called Optimus. It will have an off button so that if Optimus starts to get, it starts wilding out, you just turn that button off. And then, that, then the machine kind of dies. So right now, this AI lives inside your computer. It can't walk and talk. It can't do physical things that a human can do. So I just think that short-selling humans are is a, is a bad idea because there are things that we do that we take for granted that would take billions of lines of code to duplicate. For example, one of those things is the way that we're talking right now. There's something distinctly human about it. And to get all of our facial expressions, and by the way, these would be unique to us, facial expressions unique to us, not for everybody, would take billions of lines of code. So what these infos are hoping is that the AI can just teach itself in an exponential fashion and then end up being able to talk and walk and look and do just like me and you. And maybe that comes one day, but it still stands to reason that like, Short selling humans is a, is a bad idea right now because we still have the choice to just stop. We can like the networks in the studios could turn around tomorrow and say, we're going to ban AI from television and, and movies and you know, any writer caught using it is out of the WGA or something like that. Something wild and crazy. Right. I wonder if they'd take that deal. Pay structure is the same, minimums are the same, but you can't use AI and we just don't want it as part of our industry at all. And we're done. Now they're not going to do that, but they could, they have the power, the power is still with us to decide even if we want it in our lives, but the output that the output is, is so strong and that they won't do it. And the other reason is the real hardcore truth, which is like labor is the number one expense in any business. And if you're having to put up 20 writers in a writer's room and 
You can do that same work with two writers in AI. They're going to pick two writers in AI because they, you know, yeah, there, there's it, no off really, switch. There's no, I guess, off I guess, I guess Nick, no, it's really, there's, there's no off switch, bro. That, that's what yeah. I'm saying. I, I, it's not, a, it's not a real thing. So when I'm, when I say that it's, no, it's no, it's, no, I don't it, think it's, it is. Yeah. It's pretend. Okay. So it's like this. It's like when you fill out the, when you hit agree on the EULAs for all these apps, right? So you right, go so to the Facebook app. Just for everybody, a EULA is an end user end license, license agreement. agreement. So when you do that, you get this thing. Right. Let's say Facebook, right? Let's just talk about the more, most popular things. Facebook, you get it. Instagram, you get it. Twitter, whatever. And if you were to read it, you'd probably be like, no, heck no. Like <laughs> you just told me you're taking all of my stuff. You're going to sell it. You're going to do all these different things with my data. But I'm going to click agree anyway because everybody else is on Twitter and everybody else is on Instagram and everybody else is on Facebook and everybody else is on TikTok. And if I want to be part of society and I want to be part of the conversation and I want to see so-and-so's baby pictures or whatever, I got to do it. So I think it's, it's funny because the off switch is either not agreeing to the EULA and not installing it or deleting that thing once you find out that they've been selling your stuff. No one clicks the off button, right? This is not going to happen. So it's like, yeah, we put a, an off button on the bot, you know, so that when it starts to, you know, terrorize your family, you can just push the button, you know, it's like, good luck with that one. You know, let's see if that happens, you know. It's Why like, did you turn into Bill Cosby saying that? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it turned off the bot. <laughs> I don't know, bro. I don't know why I did that. But, you know, it's just, it's just <laughs> like it's fake news when I hear that. They get to turn off if you want to. I was like, yeah, whatever. You're not going to turn it off. But anyway, um, back to the, to the writers. I think that in the beginning of the strike, we heard a lot about AI and the concerns about it, almost as if that was what started the strike and it's not. But I think at that time, no. there was also a lot of fear around AI. And it's not just the fear of AI itself, but it's the fear that it's not for the common man. So that others who are more powerful or have more money or whatever could usurp the common man in the use of AI and therefore no longer need the common man. And I think what's happening over time is that because of that fear, people have started to reach out to AI. Like, what is this thing? I better learn it. I better, better figure it out. And then as they started to figure it out, play with it and realize the benefits to them, I think they're starting to open their arms a little bit more to it. And the fear isn't as much there anymore because now they realize that they can wield the same tools that maybe they thought the networks or industry or someone with, a, with more power was going to wield over them. So I think that is kind of is dying down because the fear of that is starting to die down as well. The theme of it all is that this is the wild, wild west. And I think that's pretty much the case because you're going to see massive market reset. And that's, I think, what will happen if people do sort of use the tool and say, okay, I'm not afraid of it anymore. It's helping me out. Great. But what is the, that's the short-term thinking. What's the long-term thinking in the long-term, what should a piece of content cost that would normally, that we would normally pay, let's say someone, a studio would buy a script for $500,000 today. What should it cost in 10 years uh, when AI is really mature or, or is much more exponentially more mature? Would that be 
$1,000. Like, so, and, and we go to, we've been through these cycles and these cycles happen in societies all the time. Um, there was a time where someone who owned a lot of farmland was the richest person you knew. And the value of agriculture has gotten to the point where they now basically have just enough to pay their bills thanks to these terrible contracts they get into with Monsanto and you know other companies like that that really sort of own the industry and have usurped those farmers and those sort of agricultural entrepreneurs. So anytime there's like a te technological switch, you know, some people are just flat out put out of business. Um, those folks who used to create for uh, radio, full on shows with sound effects and things like that for radio, you know, war of the worlds kind of thing. TV put them out of business. They just, just, we can film that now. Like no need to do that. Um, in many ways you see right now that YouTube and streaming and streaming services are putting the radio business for music out of business slowly. It's a slow bleed, but it's slowly becoming like, They've done away with AM radio. Like, like it's just, it's just the first shoe to, to drop. Uh, vaudeville used to be a thing. It's like, not anymore. Like there, there are things that replace you to the point where you're just out of business. And so I think the question is, is through these negotiations, who will be put out of business by AI for good? Because the thing that they used, they used to make or do that costs so much money has become so commoditized to be worth nothing. So that's one thing. And I will play devil's advocate on your, on what you said, not because not because I think you're wrong. Cause I think you're spot on in the, in the, uh, Eula, uh, example, I think is sound and uh, such a great example to pull out because people just don't read it. And I think the reason people don't read those Eulas, right. is because they know deep down inside, they can still sue and still try to fight anything they signed up to. It's kind of like when a grocery store puts a sign in their parking lot that says not responsible for stolen items in your car or anything that happens in the parking lot. Well, my sister's an executive, uh, a C-suite executive at a grocery chain. I can just tell you those signs mean jack shit when the lawyers get involved. The, re the, the grocery store is liable. Turns out that you can't just put up a sign and say, we're not doing this. No, you are doing this and you are responsible and you did create a bad situation. So if literally one of your lamps are out in your parking lot and you have that sign, so now your parking lot's dark and dangerous, you're going to lose millions of dollars. You're sued. And so I think people think that. The other devil's advocate side I'll take is simply this. There's a real world examples of people just saying no. Now, can me and you turn it off? Is there off switch for me and you? No, we're just Nick and Chris from Bonsai Creative. Can Xi Jinping? Yeah. Can the CCP? Yeah, they have. You literally can't use apps there. You literally can't read certain news sites there. They have literally shut down certain websites. You just cannot reach Google, for example, if you're in China. And if you're found out, you go to jail forever. You disappear. Even the richest man, uh, the gentleman that owns Alibaba, I'm forgetting his name right now, they disappeared him. I, I don't think anybody's seen him. It's been years now, years. Where is he? They keep showing these still shots of him doing paintings. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
Yeah, this, guy, that's, this guy's that's, running that's Alibaba. Yeah. So he can't on, just be the, doing paintings all day. Global, on the global so to, scale, so to me, if, if there's a switch, if, if we go is that the wrong <laughs> way, if we go the wrong way, there are people powerful enough to just say no. Yeah, if if, if, if United States stop being a free place, that's why I have one chip pushed in for the dark ages, Nick. <laughs> Every time we have a huge technological shift, there's a dark age that follows. Literally, we figured out how to copy words called the printing press. And it led to a dark age because it was too revolutionary and it was too fast and it was too scary to those in power. And I think, look, that's not the off button we want, but that might be the off button we get if the wrong people lose their power too quick because of it. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be, this is one of those, I think the people are pretty much like it's here to stay. And one of the reasons why it's here to stay is because it's actually been here for a long time. This is just a new iteration mm -hmm. of it. This is the new maturation of it, right? So it's here. It's been here. I think everybody's basically just got to get on the bandwagon, which is how do you best use it in your life? And then also, how do you start to think about how to protect yourself from it as well? So it's it'll be around for, <laughs> for a while. From it. Yeah, it's just I think that's that's <laughs> what people think. Protect yourself from it. But no, I think that's where yeah, people are how do you thinking. Do that? How do you do that? Right? How do you because the yeah, main yeah, thing yeah. is, is okay, that if yeah. you understand it, you're not well offering enough, any suggestions. Yeah. No. If you understand a thing well enough, then you know how to either use it, abuse it, protect yourself from it. I think that's where people are now is just educating themselves. And, and using these tools where they can so that they're prepared for its continued expansion because it's not going anywhere. So we'll see. No, it really isn't. And the, and the list of tools that are available for filmmakers right now is, is the ultimate double-edged sword. You can, there's never been a time where you could be more creative with less. And there's never been a time that just goes to show that like you can give away everything that's special and authentic and unique about you and it come back to burn you later. Like this idea of giving away your voice or teaching the AI how to write in your, in your writing style, like careful with that. Cause that's somewhere on the internet where somebody else can use your voice, your image and your writing style. And, and that's what I mean about protecting yourself. Things, right. And, and, and you've lost your, your value in the marketplace. Right. And, but at the same time we want to use these. Yes, exactly. Nick, I get you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm just simply saying like, it's a tough one because now you can do the things you've always wanted to do and even for less, but there's a price you might pay with long-term thinking that you might, you might realize you undersold. And I think that's what's going on with the writer strike. I think that's what's going on in multiple industries right now. They're like, I think we're, I think we're selling ourselves short here because in the long run, we're going to end up losing big because of these compromises we're making early to be able to maybe use these tools or be a lot more productive today. You know, we might want to hold on to a bit of our, our authenticity on this. Like, so it's just a tough one, by the way, Jack Ma is the name of the uh, owner of Alibaba who we would love to see more of you, Jack. <laughs> yeah. You're out there yeah, somewhere. Like, nope. Just let us know you're okay, Jack. <laughs> right. It's just, you don't know who's listening, bro. <laughs> let it go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, nope. <laughs> nope. We're good. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about this. Imagine, uh, listen, but uh, think, about, think, about, think about what you just said, though, right there. No, no, no. The, it's I crazy know, to me. I, that's what I'm saying, but it's, it is today, right? It is today. That's crazy to me. It, it is crazy. I know, but it is what it is. So anyway, Apple like, Vision like, Pro. Where, where, does that comment, where does that comment come from? Apple Vision Pro. 
I want to hear your take. We will talk about on it. Apple Vision Pro. Okay. I I'm concerned for you. That's all. I know you are. I'm concerned. I know you are. I know you are. They Come are. On. Come they on. already have you. Yeah. They already yeah. They they're already, they're us, already censoring you. They already. They already have they're all. They're not of censoring us. me because I'm willing to die. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm willing to die. Not, for not my me, voice. man. Not me, man. I got five kids to feed. What are you nah, talking man, about? You, no. <laughs> No, it's true. I, I realize that me and you are similar in age, but we're in a different place in our lives. That is true. That is true. And that's yeah. why that's what these conversations are so great. Like talking about Apple Vision Pro, we're going to end up having a different take on Apple Vision Pro, probably because even though we're the same people on paper from a demographic standpoint, and all that shit, we're different places in our lives because my kids are grown and yours aren't. And that makes a big difference because deep down, you probably know that you have to still influence your kids and protect them or someone else will. And you actually still have time to mess up or they can (laughs) turn 18 and they'd be like, fuck him. Right. You know, whereas whatever impact I was going to have on my older kids, I've already made it. I am who I am to them. Like that childhood was their childhood. It's over. And so I'm focused on a different place. Like, because I'm not afraid anymore of like, I influenced them or I didn't. I've passed that test or I didn't. Gotcha. You know what I mean? So it's interesting. We have a bunch of friends that are like, that are in your spot too. Yep. Um, so the focus is different, but, but Apple vision pro, I do, I did want to talk about this. I think, We'll hear a lot more about this next year when it comes out, obviously. Right. And there's a lot of people who, after WWDC, um, the developers conference that Apple does once a year in June, obviously there was a lot of hype around it at that point, right? And rightfully so, and around their laptops and everything else that they sort of teased software-wise. It's a software conference, right? But they still tease the hardware because Apple's famous for meshing hardware with software. That's really the Apple difference is that the hardware is made for the software and vice versa. And if you buy like a Hitachi or <laughs> like a Sony or a, T- a Toshiba, the hardware was not made for the software and vice versa. And so the experience can be a little bit iffy. So sometimes you get hardware announcements at WWDC, right? And most people listening to this know that and don't need to be told that. So I just want to contextualize it. So, There's tons of YouTube videos people can watch about it, quick reviews, early takes on it, things like that. But we'll hear a lot more about it. It'll be quiet is what I'm saying from now till probably December when it's going to come out next year. And then we'll hear a lot more about it so we can go back in time and see, you know, if our takes were good or bad on this thing. But the first thing that comes to mind is it is not a... It is not Apple's take on VR. And if anybody's had a VR experience, they've probably been ushered into a square. They've been given some paddles and they put the goggles on and they are then immersed in an experience. And I use immersed lightly because I think depending on the VR experience, you do have a sense of the outside world. 
you do have a sense of where you are. There are even headsets I've used that are less expensive, not Oculus level, where you can look down and still see your feet and like still see like your body. And you're like, oh, okay, good. I'm still here. <laughs> right. um, but I've had some pretty cool VR experiences. I was, I remember going to Matthew Ralston's book release party, uh, the famous photographer. And we were in LA and um, there was this uh, apartment they had sort of leased out. It might've been an Airbnb. And inside was a bunch of wine and a line and some, and a gift bag. Got to have a gift bag, Nick, if you're going to throw a party, right? So, (laughs) so, um, yeah, so just keep that in mind, folks. If you're having a release and you don't have a gift bag, you're doing it wrong. You should have a gift bag, have something they walk away with. Anyway, so when it's your turn to go, you go and you walk into an empty living room or we walked into an empty living room and there was no, it wasn't cordoned off because the room was a giant square. So they just trusted you weren't going to walk out of the window <laughs> and fall to your death. Uh, <laughs> nice. But as soon as you put the goggles on and held the paddle, exactly, you you were immersed with all of his most famous uh, photos, photos of Madonna and Michael Jackson and, you know, et cetera. And it was really kind of cool. And I've been to ones where you can, I've walked through the human heart and I've explored space. And this is not what Apple Vision Pro is. It's a new software platform that is going to usurp your phone, your laptop, your tablet, and your VR headset if Apple does it right. So just think about that alone, the market disruption and the courage it takes to introduce a product that has the potential to cannibalize your your business. Because I don't know how many people know this, but the majority of Apple's profits, the great majority of their of their profits come from one item, one device, the iPhone. Everything else pales in comparison by, by a large margin. So it's their iPhone sales that drives the entire business, then their entire war chest. And they've, they've basically created a device that could usurp it. And that folks is why it costs $3,500. It needs to cost that now so that there's only certain people who can afford it so that people will still buy their phone because they don't want to destroy their business overnight in one fell swoop. It's really smart. No one talks about that. They just assume it's Apple. It's going to be really expensive. This is what, no, they understand the market, right? So that's, so the price is perfect because they don't, they don't want their stock to drop by 80% tomorrow. They don't want to pull a Blackberry and not, not have figured it out. The other thing is, is that when you put these on, it's not that you're entering in you know, particular worlds. You know, so it's like a VR experience is like, I'm going to look at Matthew Rostin's pictures and that's all I'm going to do. I'm going to play this video game and that's all I'm going to do. No, this is everything. This is your room. This is your phone. It's FaceTime. It's your laptop. It's your desktop images. You can just grab them. It sees your eyes. So if you look at a folder, it opens the folder. Which is bananas. Here's the part that's really interesting. The entertainment part of it is going to be so disruptive to the paradigm we have now in the in the current sort of way things are now. And I just mentioned, and we just mentioned, this is really the wild, wild west. We're talking about true reset 
of culture, true reset of society, true reset of economics, true reset of market price and value. So this is one of those devices that resets some of those things potentially. Will enough people be able to afford it and get their hands on it? Maybe. Could you afford $3,500 if you didn't buy a laptop or a phone? Yeah, you could then. So that's the question. And there are going to be movies and I saw this as a on on a developer website with developer APIs. There will be movies made just for Apple Vision Pro, the way that Christopher Nolan made Oppenheimer just for IMAX. There will be Apple Vision Pro cameras, software, so that when you watch it on that headset, it's like an experience you've never had before, superior to IMAX. The sound's right in your ears. You can make the screen as big as you want it. Then on top of that, you realize that this, the last two generations have been consuming content in their hand anyway, on their phone, on their laptop, on their tablet. Uh, I have a 23 year old, I have a 20 year old. They don't even think, they don't, they don't even think about TVs really, unless the TV is in a place where they can be completely alone. That's how much they value content. Like they're added to our marketing manager, DJ, he's like, the way he talks about content each day, is so different than me and you, Nick. Like, so different than than we think about it. Like, it's everything. I took him to get some food the other day, Nick. He wanted Sonic. I was like, okay, we'll do Sonic. I never go to Sonic. But I noticed he was grabbing his phone a lot, so I decided to count how many times he checked his phone in the time it took me to order him a, a Sonic bacon cheeseburger. 12 times. He checked his phone 12 times. There was two times where he checked his phone, put it in his pocket, picked it right back up, checked it. And then put it back in his pocket. I was like, oh, shit. Like, so imagine this thing that's on your face that gives you the notifications. Let's use, you're watching YouTube. You know, you're watching the movie you want to watch. You're watching the TV show on Apple TV Plus that you want to watch. So I just think, Right now, it's not being spoken about a lot, but we're underestimating the impact it's going to have on the creator and on theaters. Do you remember when we first started, how many people were pitching us on investing in 3D films? Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, not 3D, 360, 360 degrees. That was... Or like the kind of films we saw at yeah. like... Um, and that, uh, it was a 360 uh, degree camera. Technicolor. And then Technicolors, that's... But do you remember the Technicolor? Yeah, yeah. That's the VR experience where you're definitely immersed in it. That's a 3D film. Yeah, yeah. And and that was supposed to take over. And then they realized, like, how hard it is to... Like, they couldn't find a way to get that type of filmmaking to play in a theater and it mean anything. And Apple's figured it out. And now you're going to see it. Yeah, so we'll we'll see. I think uh, so for so so for me, <laughs> what I'm what I'm seeing is that like so I look at it as a platform. I think that's the the key factor here for me in how it might change things going forward mm-hmm. is that I think it's it's being positioned as a platform, and I kind of look at it as a digital yep. immersion platform, right? Because once you put the goggles on, you, there's nothing else, right? There is no outside world. Right. You're in it. Imagine sitting here. You see your world you're already in. Right. No, what I'm saying is like, imagine if you are 
you know, working on your laptop now, right? I'm, I'm sitting in front of a screen. My laptop's in front of me. You know, my wife walks past my office and knocks on the door and says, hey, you know, can you come do something real quick? I put those goggles on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not happening anymore unless you text me. <laughs> right? So then I'm going to see the notification. But you'll see the text in your eyeball. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. I'll see the text yeah. in my eyeball. So it's going to change everything, right? Uh, but it's an immersion platform. And I think mm-hmm. that by virtue of it being a platform, it creates all these opportunities for the type of content, the type of digital content that might be put out there. So it's different, right? When you call it a platform, it's different from an Oculus where you're like, oh, that's a, that's for a VR. That's for a game, yeah. right? It's very specific to a thing, right? Whereas this is like, no, it's not specific to a thing. It's a delivery mechanism for you to be immersed in whatever digital content is being created. And if it does, you know, live up to that platform, um, I'm not going to call it a stigma, but that that label, then it can be very interesting. It can create new opportunities for people to create different types of content. Uh, but we'll see how long it takes to actually stick because there is this idea that you are separating mm-hmm. yourself from the natural world as soon as you put those on. So how long is okay, right, to be wearing these things when you're amongst other people. Now, we have no idea. Wild West. Exactly. It's it's just, it's new. What's and the mental that, health impact of having those on for all day? Yeah. Well, what's the impact on your eyes? You know, I think that's the thing that a lot of people don't think about. You see a lot of people with like blue light glasses <laughs> and things like that. You imagine now having what's this the impact screen. on your brain? Well, that's what I'm saying. Imagine having this screen with. What's the level of radiation? Exactly. I was going to say electromagnetic radiation, which is light, right? Having that right there in front of your face constantly for X period of time. You know, what is the impact of that? I mean, there's a lot of potential impacts. And I think we'll see we just don't know. We'll see the the good, the bad, and ugly of it once it be, once it gets released. Um, I think we won't see as much in the beginning because of the price point. Right. It's gonna take a little while. You're gonna a lot of, you know, first you know, adopters are gonna wanna grab it. You're gonna have platform developers who are gonna wanna grab it. Uh, you're gonna have people who just wanna say that they have it, but never really explore all the capabilities of it who are gonna have it. But you're not going to see, I think, a societal shift or change associated with it for some time until that, you know, that price point starts to come down or people start to develop content that is specific to that platform that starts to win awards or be notable. You know, it's like, why watch Apple TV? Well, because they've got these programs and you can't get those on Max and you can't get them over here. So if you want this program or this thing you got to watch it on Apple Vision Pro, right? Or if they start to release capabilities that you would otherwise have on your laptop that you can't get, right? Because now they're only available via Apple Vision Pro, then folks in that ecosystem might start to say, well, it's a natural shift. I have to move to that because if I don't, then I'm not getting the next level of capability. So we'll see. I think it's going to be really interesting Uh, It's a little ways down the road before I think we start to see a lot of people using it and a lot of influence. But, you know, I think at a minimum, I'm excited to see. uh, Not when it first comes out. You know, let the developers get at it. Let the content creators get at it. Let let it become a I don't know if I want the first one because I hear it has a two-hour battery life and it's heavy. (laughs) What am I going to do with that, man? So it's like, like, okay, it's got got two hours. It's got two-hour life. You have to have the battery pack stuck to you right. basically behind you the whole time to keep it charged. So you have to be plugged close to a plug right. or, or walk around with an extension cord. And then it's made of all glass and metal. So it's pretty heavy. 
It might be glass and aluminum, or as Johnny Ive used to say, aluminium. <laughs> uh, so, uh, it, it, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe V2 is what you really want. But to your point, you know, if me and you were to, I'll probably, if me and you were to take the other side, let's say we were the other side and say, this is bad. We don't want this. Do you, do you think we could actually stop it? Is oh, no, no, no. This is, this is just a, no. this train, except for just not no, buying there's it. No, there's no stopping the train, but you know, but no, I'll, I'll say this. It, it actually made me think of something. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should get this thing because I, so here's my phone right here. Right. So if I take my phone and I put it like mm-hmm. right here, then you know that I'm looking at my phone, <laughs> right? Right? That makes sense, right? You know I'm paying attention to my phone. If they're yeah, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. you know what I'm saying? Right, like this, yeah, I'm right. walking around, you know yeah. I'm, I'm on my phone, okay? Yeah. So I think in my household, it would be good to have that. You know why? Because sometimes I'm sitting with my phone, I'm not saying I'm texting you, right? I'm, I'm in it, I'm texting, fingers are going, right? Thumbs are working. Yeah, yeah. And my wife asked me something yeah, yeah. important. And I'm like texting, and then she's like, "Did you hear what I said?" I'm like, "No, I didn't hear what you said. I was text. I was in the middle of this text. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, I am writing right now, and I am in here, and she sees me. Like, you know what I'm saying? She sees I'm doing the thing, but she's gonna talk to me anyway. So maybe if I get this joint like this, yeah. and I'm, how do you how do you type with it like this? <laughs> right. <laughs> I think it was just your eyeballs. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> oh, oh no, you just talk. You just oh, talk oh, out loud. Oh, that's great. That's about to yeah. be perfect. That'd be yeah, crazy. <laughs> that'd, that'd be, be crazy. crazy. I'm walking around with this thing on my face and just saying everything I want to type. Man, this fool did this. And my wife like, who are you talking to? Yeah. But yeah, I think that might be a good idea, just so that my wife understands that when I'm texting, I can't, I can't be in the other conversation at the same time. That's all. So I think it's a good idea. When we have episodes release. I run stories through our Instagram mm-hmm. account at underscore bonsai creative for anyone interested. <laughs> We're a good follow. I do it through Spotify and I do it through SoundCloud and I do it through iHeart. And I just put the link so people can touch the link and listen to the podcast, right? But when you open Instagram for the first time, or like when t- to run a story like that, you have to open Spotify click share, click Instagram stories, and then it takes you to Instagram and you post the story and then you come out of it. So every time you're basically going to a new app Mm -hmm. to do this, it's opening Instagram again, like fresh and new. I'm explaining this for a reason. So I'm doing this the other day. And the first thing that shows up on Instagram after sharing the story, story's been shared. Now it's going to regular Mm -hmm. Instagram, your homepage. There is a girl who is bent over for whatever reason in a bikini and in comes my wife. <laughs> the second the picture shows up and then i and then i try to scroll up she goes don't scroll up don't scroll up and then she grabs my phone <laughs> and scrolls back down, back down. <laughs> and she says oh this is this yeah. is what you do this is what you're looking at that's not what i'm right. looking at that's not what I, oh <laughs> i see what you're looking at i said i'm not looking at it i don't uh-huh. care this person I followed chose to be in a right. bikini and, and bend over like ice spice right now. I don't know why she did it. I can't help that she did it. And Instagram set me up. The algorithm, bro. The algorithm got you. <laughs> you did, right? They got me. And and now with Apple Vision Pro, I can look at that girl bent over as long as <laughs> you're I want. Right, because you're locked in, right? In her bikini that I'm not interested in. <laughs> right. And when you look down. Yeah, I'm not interested look- in it. I'm not interested in it. <laughs> 
I love it. But I don't blame right, her for doing right. it. <laughs> I want I she can do that and I can watch and it not and be not be disturbed judged. and judged. I got so it. So I know exactly yeah, what you're talking there you about. Go. Oh, right right through the right yeah. through the screen. High five on that. Yeah, that's <laughs> <laughs> high five! Yeah, high five on not being judged for things. I like, that. Oh, really? that. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh god, the, the the age we live in, uh, the no. age we live in is just—it's a small miracle. I, I ran into Bryson. I, I ran into Bryson Sam's the other day. We had him on the podcast when we did yeah. the fifty-four hour film festival special, and me and him were talking, and we were just saying like. The stuff he was saying, the stuff he sees online that he can just see in one click would have been stuff that we would have had to sneak to find oh, 25 yeah, years ago. Like we would have had to like go through all sorts of like trials and tribulations, hurdles, hoops, and stumbling blocks. And then we would sneak off to find <laughs> right. it. Like look what <laughs> I share have. with all your friends. I have right. a woman <laughs> dressed right. like this. In this image, and you share it with all your friends, and now it's just like, hmm. yeah. Well, hmm. a lot of that is isn't even yeah. that. It's, it's bad. like imagine imagine a girl being bent over in a bikini being meh. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's meh. Yeah. It's mid. It's like meh, it was because it's, it's common. Meh. Right, See right. The it's common. Meh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, like how terrible is that? Anyway, speaking of our culture, we should get into mm. culture. Yeah, check. yeah, and this is. Nick, I believe you have a special and on theme, actually, culture check for us. Yeah, today. so I have to say that this is. Um, Would you share culture check with us? Culture check. All right. So, <laughs> you know, I got to do it, bro. That's it. That's it. So, this, the thing I want to talk about. <laughs> you just scared me with you. Surprised. I, 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 I didn't know, know what you I were going to like, give there. a little pause. So, the reason I, you know, yeah. I love the culture check, okay. it's just, you know, this there's a lot of cultural madness going on, you know? So there's two words I want to talk about, right? I kind of feel like Sesame street all of a sudden, but it's okay. microaggressions and hypersensitivity. Okay. <laughs> and probably hypersensitivity to those microaggressions. So I want to just read the definition of microaggressions real quick. Okay. So it's any interaction between those okay. of different races, cultures, or genders that can be interpreted as non physical aggression okay so another one is a microaggression is a subtle often unintentional form of prejudice okay so mm. the reason i'm talking about it is because mm. this is we i was talking to some filmmakers about some things that can happen on set right where you're on set and someone says something and again we're in this like culture war of everybody's feelings matter and you can't say certain things. And if you say it, then you're a jerk or an ass, whatever that, you know. So, you know, like, what are these little microaggressions? And I was just thinking, mm -hmm. you know, like one is where, you know, if you have a young person, you know, show up on set, then, you know, someone who's less, more senior says, hey, we're working on something, you mind getting me coffee, right? But that young person might be the social media mm -hmm. manager for the entire thing, right? So that microaggression, that prejudice it wasn't an intentional dig, but in the person's mind, they're thinking, well, youngest person on the set, like, just go handle up for me while the big boys or big girls do their thing, right? Yeah. So again, not intentional, but there's a prejudice that's associated mm -hmm. with the person's age, right? So there's this desire to try to ferret this stuff out and to call people out for this stuff, 
Mm. And I think in some to some degree that might be a good thing, right? Because you know, so for I give you another one for example, um, you know, so if I'm I'm a guy and I'm on set and I asked a woman for something and I said, hey, sweetheart, can you get me whatever it is? Give me a, my wardrobe, whatever it is. The fact that I called her sweetheart, <laughs> right, might in itself be demeaning. Yeah. Right. Because I'm taking this position, I don't know, of authority, of, you know, I'm expressing my masculinity and she's now nothing more than sweetheart. Right. And maybe in her mind, my calling her sweetheart has demeaned her. Right. I'm, I've only focused on the fact that she is a woman. Right. And that's a microaggression. It is yes. a form of prejudice, even though it was unintentional. And I think some of those things are, are worthy of being called out. Right. I think in that context, you know, if you were to flip it, yeah. I don't even know, you know, hey, handsome or whatever, you know, is that is that the, the flip side of that? But I think it's like, OK, let's let's not call mm-hmm. out the gender or the sex of the person, because I think that's what that is. When you call someone sweetheart, because you wouldn't do that with a guy. Right. So if you wouldn't do it with someone else. Right. Yeah, then yeah, why yeah. do it with that person? Right. Whether it's their age, gender, sex or whatever. Right. So I think there are some of these instances that do make sense to to kind of call them out and say that let's let's not, you know, call out that aspect of who I am because that one aspect isn't all of who I am. Okay, 100%. Got you. Right? You want people to see yeah. you for who you really are, you know, which is that is a part of you, your race, whatever. Uh, but that's not all of you. Now, on the flip side of that, there's what I see as hypersensitivity to what might be perceived as these microaggressions. So in the same conversation about ferreting out or making people realize that they might have some internal biases that, or unconscious biases that make them have these microaggressions, one of the people was like, yeah, you know, I'll tell you about something that really bothers me. And we're like, okay, we're all ears, right? Like, let's support this person. That's what we do in these types of conversations. And the person said, you know, everybody always comes to me and says, since you have the best handwriting, why don't you write this? And she says, so why is it that since I'm a woman, just because I'm a woman and I have good handwriting, I always have to be the one to write these things up, you know, write the write things on the board or write things, these things down. And of course, I'm over here. I'm like, what? What are you, what are you even talking about? Why are you getting <laughs> mad about having wonderful handwriting? You know, in my household... My wife writes everything, you know what I'm saying? Like 95% of the things that need to get written down on a board, on a piece of paper, whatever it is, we're asking her to write it because her handwriting is the best. It has nothing to do with the fact that she's a woman. That's not, at least that's not why we're asking her to do it. Does it have to do with the fact that she's a woman? Maybe because I would say a certain generation, girls always had the best handwriting. You know, they were always writing notes. Dude, don't dudes don't yeah. write notes. Like we didn't do that back in school. We didn't write notes, right? <laughs> we just we just leaned over and we whispered and we talked it out. You know, well, but girls wrote notes yeah. and they that they took yeah. pride in that kind of thing. So anyway, when I heard this, that's the first thing I thought was this is hypersensitivity. And if the person who then said, yeah. Hey, would you write this gets called out in front of everybody else for being sexist because of this, to me, that's when it's gone overboard. It's like, that's way too far. So to, for that person to have assumed that the other person was being sexist, that they actually thought, because you're a woman, I want you to write it. 
what made that person go that far, you know, in their mind that they would feel mm. that that's the type of prejudice that that person either intended or didn't. So for me, I think there's this interesting balance that I think we need to be aware of or try to create is that we understand that there are things like microaggressions based off of unconscious bias. And some of these that are specifically directed at a race, culture or creed are things or sex that need to be addressed. But you can't always just imply, right? Or I would say infer, right? That that was the intent. So anyway, that's a that's in my in my culture check space. Yeah. I feel like that's just something we need to be mindful of and, and stop. Seriously, guys, stop going overboard. You know, Chris, what's your thing about malice versus stupidity or ignorance? Right? Just give it give it to the audience one more time. Or ignorance. Don't. It's it's. I love this phrase, and I wish I had the the part. I can't remember. Yeah, I, I don't remember who, either. But but don't attribute. To, but but it's brilliant. Don't attribute. Yeah, I say it all the time. Don't attribute ignorance uh, uh, as uh, to malice, and or don't attribute malice to to ignorance because it because it could be, it could a lot of times the thing you think someone is is coming after you about that maybe you are hypersensitive about. Is just pure ignorance. They just don't right. know any better, <laughs> and we and we tend to do that. We tend to attribute malice to stupidity or malice to ignorance. And these days, for whatever reason, I'm like, let's step back. I mean, they might not even known any you know, like. So it, it's 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 really unfortunate because we have to all live together. That's right. <laughs> we have to figure this thing out because, you know, our society can actually be torn apart through this kind of division, even if it's semantic division. Um, I've gotten into the habit, uh, even with our own staff, of when I use a word that I think might be a 10 cent word, I'll be like, do you know what that means? 90% of the time, the person I'm talking to says, no, I don't know what it means. They only can say that because I've, they're in a trusted space right? where they know I'm not going to look at them funny for not knowing. I'm like, let me just explain it to you. This is what this concept is. This is what this word means. And now you can go in the word world and use it too. And it's effective. But I used to just say it. And then I found myself being misunderstood all the time, mm. all the time, just misunderstood. Like, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. Oh, you didn't even know what I was saying. You didn't even know what these terms meant. You know what the words meant. It's not me patting on my back, patting myself on the back for being well read or, or having a vocabulary or whatever. That's just me simply saying I wasn't a good being a good communicator. A good communicator recognizes his audience and speaks to their audience the right way. That's why I don't begrudge a hip hop artist for their they they know who their audience is, and if their audience was different, then they would rap different. And the reason I say that is because. What's the point of communicating a story or a point of any kind if the audience that's listening to it can't understand it? Right. Yeah. Billy Corgan, great. One of his greatest quotes is speak to me in a language I can hear. Agreed. That's so, yeah. that's so important. And so, and so when we are hypersensitive like this and think everything is a microaggression, we shut down the ability to find that connection in language and communication because Language changes over time and we have to adjust to the way people are using it. 
so is so the point is is the language is the word what's important or is it or is the meaning what's important i'd say the meaning and i think people would agree with linguists would agree with that so a very straightforward example is um for a long time people would say bad but <laughs> right. mean good now that makes it really hard <laughs> to learn english but <laughs> thanks michael but that's what we would do right and we we talk yeah we talk about like um them canceling the like the phraseology master bedroom i think that actually is probably associated with slavery potentially could be could go back before that i think a lot of times we think that america's old and then you go to eastern europe like i did uh, uh a couple of weeks ago and you realize damn these places were built before they were keeping <laughs> right. time, like before Jesus yeah. was born. And maybe there was, maybe master comes from that. But the point is, is that be honest. What do you think we're saying when we say, and here's the master bedroom? <laughs> right. <laughs> do you think we're really saying, here's the slave mat, here's the slave owner's room? You know that we're simply saying it's the biggest right. room in the house, it's the room for the owner of the house. Are you the master of your domain? If so, this is your right. bedroom. It's all the yeah. same. We, uh, we, we heard the phraseology uh, the other day, uh, uh, me and uh, our assistant, Georgia, we, we were talking. Image poverty. I thought blindness was a scientific term, Nick. I thought that was the legit term for being blind. And now you can't say blind or, or there's someone trying to promote this idea of if you call someone blind, that could be hurtful. Talk about hypersensitivity. I never heard Stevie Wonder or Ray Charles once say, don't call or me Or never blind. not to refer to themselves they as They just became blind. the greatest musicians right. of all time. <laughs> yeah. Now we have to refer no. to you as <laughs> No, we're not because it's also visually impaired, which has been around for a long That's time. That's a lot of syllables. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, a lot it's of just, syllables. It's, I don't know what, what are we we're doing? doing. We've got a word for yeah, it. It's I don't called know what blind. We're doing. And that's what I'm saying is that you just got to be careful because I just want to go back to what you said about we all have to live together. So I'm just bringing it back to, you know, our filmmaking community here. Yeah. You have to live together, especially when you're on set, right? Especially when you're making mm -hmm. a film. So the only thing that I can say, because we, we can't make people not be hypersensitive. Okay. The person that I was talking about was already hypersensitive. No. Right. No, it's already cannot. a thing. So that I only thing that I can say to folks mm -hmm. who are could have been right. past but trauma. The only, only thing I can say to folks who are hypersensitive, talk it out. Right. So if someone says something to you that you are sensitive to later when no one else is around, right? Don't call them out in front of people. Don't badmouth them behind their backs. Don't put something on social. Can you believe what this jerk just said to me? Go have a conversation with the person. Right. That like one. That's as simple. I'm going to get back to this definition. A microaggression is a subtle, often, unintentional form of prejudice okay often unintentional so again just talk it out have the conversation you might realize that there was actually no prejudice there was actually and there was no intent to demean you or to you know make you feel bad in any way so that's all i can say so with those microaggressions again we can't stop it 
right? We can't, you can't cancel that out either. I don't want to even try. These are things that are inborn in people, right? And some of them are trained in people to talk a certain way, to speak a certain way, to interact a certain way. You can't ferret all that stuff out. And you, people can't police themselves. Why? Because this is often unintentional. It's often unconscious. So again, it's going to happen and people will be hypersensitive. The only thing we can do it is if you are on the receiving end, talk it out. If you are the person who perpetrated this microaggression, listen, right? Listen. And if you have to adjust your behavior a little bit, do that, right? Kind of respect that person's feelings. Again, you don't have to change who you are. It's like you said, Chris, it's about being an effective communicator. And often that's just between you and the other person at the end of that, right? So again, you don't have to change who you are for everyone, but for yep. just that one person, just consider making that micro adjustment so you don't have microaggressions going forward. So that just offer that. Yeah. Well said here, here to that. I mean, look, the difference between our, like the way me and you might do it and the way people who are hypersensitive do it in this current, you know, culture is that if we didn't like someone or we didn't like the way we were treated. So we went to a restaurant and we thought they were being a little racist. Let's say we would just never go back to the restaurant again. And we would probably tell stories to our friends and say, you don't want to patronize them. They just wouldn't go back. But what they do today is they leave the restaurant. They don't patronize it again. They tell their friends, but their friends are all online. So they end up destroying the person's public reputation. Right in their future of ever having a business again of any type. And so I just think we have to understand what the scale of something, some of this stuff is. You can make the decision not to patronize them and you can tell your friends not to. And if that, here's the reality, people just don't believe in the market anymore. If somebody's really shitty to their customers, they're not going to be around for a long time. You don't have to be the fireman. Yeah. You don't have to. But I don't even see it as that. You're not. I think that's where. So in in that scenario, it's not even being the policeman who's supposed to um, protect and serve. Right. Destroy the business. Not the fireman, you know, Mm -hmm. who's coming along to put out a fire and again to protect and serve. When you take that role. Right. Where you go on Twitter and you tell everybody and you lambast that that person or that restaurant or whatever. Really, it comes. There you go. Ambassador, uh, like it. Really, it comes down to you're now becoming the aggressor. You are now becoming the bully, right? That's the difference. Yeah, main difference. So, so basically, from us, like, don't do that. That's not necessary. You don't need to attack other people, right? <laughs> Especially just if someone doesn't like you, they don't like you. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you turning around and trying to beat them up? Like, aren't you equally, if not more, like, if, if not worse? than that person at that point, if you do that, right? So let's, let's not do that. You know, yeah. let's kind of put that in, yeah. you know, public service announcement. Don't be a bully, right? Don't attack other people, even if you feel attacked, right? That's not, what is it? Two wrongs, don't make a right. Don't, don't make a right. Don't do it. All right. Yeah. Where's well PB? Papa Bear, bring us back on so we can answer things we should know. I have an answer written down just so, just so you know, 
And it is the most random, the most wrong answer of, of this program. Go for it, man. Of this, uh, so yeah, go for it. what is it? It is the well, most, no, 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 we don't need all that. And most random answer. I mean, as long as it's not purple and make it podcast things, we should you know, know history. Saying? Like, come on, it can't be that. It is, it is it, Nick, Nick, it is that close to right, a non sequitur. It is like, but is it something you should know? It is, it is something we should know actually, you know, and I can't not wait for the answer. So I'm going to give you my answer. Okay. I based it. Can I give you the reason why I gave you this answer? PB? It's a, a true podcast. Exactly. I just wanted somebody to say that. Uh, so, so here's the deal. I thought about why would something strike? Why would anyone strike? Almost all strikes happen at moments in a financial um, uh, pressure or downturn or depression or uh, recession. Almost every time. Uh, even NFL strikes, sports strikes, all strikes happen when the money gets tight around the corporations that pay everybody's bills and they have to really scramble and think about how to keep, you know, an industry going and usually labor as it is the most uh, expensive thing they uh, company can do. Uh, they think about how to cut it. And then those laborers say, Hey man, what are you doing? I had a bunch of bills over here and I had an expectation to make this money. So I don't know how old the guild is, which is part of my big problem. But I know one happened in 08, right around the, the real estate crash. And I know that we had, now see, here's the problem. I was a child, <laughs> but I know that we had a big recession in 1987. So my guess is that a strike happened in 87 or 88, but I'm going to be fair and go with 87. Mm-hmm. And strike lasted for five weeks. Don't tell me the answer, Nick. Your turn. I just wanted to give you my reasoning. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right, Nick. So, go ahead. do me a favor and ask the question one more time. <laughs> well, yeah, I usually do restate it. In what mm-hmm. year was the first WGA strike, and how long was it? Get it, get it. You got, you have reason. You're going to sing it to me, Chris. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> is that boom, a question boom, or a statement? Do <laughs> you have a reason why your answer is no? I, I'm not going to go that far. So, the first strike, um, I'd like to ask you a question. Okay. How many strikes of riders? Yes. One. That's writers for those, not writers. Writer. I'm, writer. A ride, I'm a writer. He's a writer. He's a writer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Seven. Oh, that's way too Ooh. many. Yeah. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll give you one little thing that may help. There was the Screenwriters Guild before the WGA. Oh, my God. So don't, don't think about that. <laughs> Do you know when the WGA? <laughs> exactly. I'm going to tell that. you something. He just gave you a critical piece of information and said, don't think about that. Mm. Wow. 
Now I slept with your ex girlfriend. Don't, think about, don't think about that. Oh, I got. I, yeah. But there was only one. <laughs> there was, there what was I want only, you to think about is there was only one with the SWG. SWV. Sisters G. with voices. Oh, okay. Right. Screenwriters Guild. <laughs> Sisters yeah. with voices. All right. So, so but you Eddie said George that. But you said WGA. One. So, how many writer strikes have there yep. been with the WGA specifically? Seven. With the WGA only, yeah. Writers Guild of Since it began, America right. West. Since and it I began. guess East as well. Yeah. Yeah, because they merged. Okay, let me ask this one. Mm-hmm. Was the last one in 2008? Wait, well, isn't that the, no, isn't that the question? The one. You're getting too many uh, hints here. But uh, if the last one's 2008, it's the no, first no, one. No, he said, no, it's not. Hmm? The first one. So the last one was no, 2008. No. The first one was before 2008. I'm just asking if the last one was in 2008. Do we know that for sure? I'm saying that if we don't asking, know that for sure, asking, then, was it? then that, then that. Yes and no. <laughs> See what I'm saying? If the answer is 2008, then if you say that's the last one, then it's the first one. No, 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 no. no. Okay. All right. Just go ahead and give okay. me your answer. I'm going to give my answer. I'll- it is going to be, well, it's going to be 1985, and it lasted for 366 days. Holy moly. These are great, great answers. <laughs> <laughs> Although you had to pull them out of us. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now. <laughs> it's like saving baby Jessica from a well to get these answers. Yeah. The one before the one now was... Started in 2007, oh, okay. ended in right. 2008. So, is it, it was it in, you know, it started in 2007. It was only 14 okay. weeks. Hmm. But the correct Interesting. answer Interesting. Yeah, is 1960. Hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. And it was 148 days or 21 weeks. Oh, we were way off. So, but the actual first writer's strike was in 1953, the year I was born. Wow. Yeah. You just told everybody what year you were born. You did. I did. Yeah. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow. No, this, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. no, no. Amazing. What's amazing. And now, uh, was that a WGA strike or was that a, or, or was that a, was that a script guild strike? Screenwriters Guild strike. Screenwriters Guild. Screenwriters Guild. Yeah. So, but what's okay. really interesting is that there's been like, seven. That in it later. That's what. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, you and I, Chris, really like we really associate with that 2007, 2008, right? And like you said, you're like, I was a child. That's all we knew. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like we. That, oh my gosh, I can't believe yeah. that there's a strike. Yeah. We. I couldn't even fathom that there were so many before that. Like I didn't. So my point is, is that. This situation yeah. situation we're in seems more. Was there routine. one in the eighties, PB? Oh yeah, there had to have been, right? I mean, well, you were close. You were actually you were both close in one way. Okay, there tell us one, tell us the ones in the eighties. There was one in nineteen eighty five. It oh, only la- it lasted oh, two so weeks. So it wasn't three hundred sixty six days. Yeah, uh, and it wasn't the first. Uh, and then there was it's one in yeah, nineteen eighty eight. Oh. And the, <laughs> the significance of that one is that it's the longest strike ever 
And how long was it? It was five months. And I said five weeks. Oh, my God. So far off, Chris. It was from March 7th. It was in 1988 from March 7th to August the 8th. Don't forget that when I first said my answer, I said it was 87 Mm -hmm. or 88. And I'll go with 87. Mm -hmm. But I did say it was 87 or 88. Mm-hmm. And it was around right. Black Monday in the recession right. of Black Monday. And I said five weeks and I should have yeah. said five months. And that would have been in that would have been in the pocket memory. Well, I, was in the pocket. I was a child. I was I was right. merely a child. <laughs> you were a young man. But that's merely twenty eight that's twenty eight yeah. years away from the first wow. one. It is. <laughs> right. Was there a recession, Papa Bear, since since you were since you were alive then? <laughs> Was, was there was there a recession in 1960 or 59? No. So that strike wasn't about wasn't about the macro economy then, if there is such a thing. No, I'll have to go back and look. Maybe we'll put that in the newsletter. What this that strike was about? Because 53 is right after World War II. So, do so you know what happened at the in the? Uh, 2007 to 2008 strike. What do you mean? Do we know what happened? Something happened with David Letterman. Just tell us. What is it? (sighs) Letterman specific? Is this when he lost his job to Jay Leno or whatever? Like (laughs) the battle of that or whatever? That happened sooner, right? That happened earlier. Well, you know, that was 14 weeks. But he wasn't doing many shows, right? Because the writers strike. The writers, right. He grew his beard. And then when the strike was over, he, just he had it cut off it on the show. Hmm. Oh, well, he's a giant. That? No, no, no he, he's a giant. He cut, that was now. a long time ago, bro. He does that now, was, but yeah. he cut it off. He cut it off, and he kept shaving until he retired. And then he grew it back because he said he had to shave every day for thirty-five years. Well, first thing he was going to do when he quit. Was to stop <laughs> shaving, and that's why Good he man. has the beard now. He's rebranded. He have to I have. love it. There are some people who believe that, based on sort of biblical verses, that uh, growing your hair or cutting your hair is a vibe. And you looked at well, the Samson, the you Samson, Samson story. story. Yeah. So. There, you weren't born with scissors or clippers. They it, they don't occur naturally in nature, and so there was never an intent for you to be a human being that doesn't have hair everywhere that it grows. That's all. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm a subscriber <laughs> of this, but yeah, I'm just yeah, simply saying yeah. that people believe. All it. right, we got to call David Letterman. Find out what's going on. Have you ever seen the saw like? stems on a palmetto uh, palm frond? I think this podcast <laughs> has gone off the rails. Like, I, I have no idea. No. I <laughs> hey, hey. You know, you're going to be able to learn something. It's the, like Exactly. Handsaw. Learn something, Chris. Give it to him, PB. Yeah, let's learn. Let's, yeah. let's like learn. Like a handsaw. T- t- what, what, what is it, PB? It's like a handsaw. What is it? You said like a handsaw. Like, like, right? Say it again. The, the palmetto... The, there's a there's a palmetto. I know what's the name of the damn plant tree? It's a palmetto <laughs> okay. bush, right? It's a okay. bush. It's not even a tree. Okay. Yes, <laughs> there are palmetto trees, but there are also palmetto plants. The stem is about 
anywhere from two to three feet long. Okay. And the edge of it is like, like a handsaw blade. You okay. Can really See? Cut yourself up pretty good with it. See? Take that, Jesus. I, I, what am I supposed to say? Take that, Samson. Right, exactly. All right, Chrissy, this was good. Thank you, PB. Thank you, PB. This we has been a blast. That. I really appreciate you yeah. um, for teaching us something we should, we things should know. We should That's right. know. That's right. Things we should know. And now I know in 1960 for 14 weeks, that was the first WGA strike. And the first uh, actual strike was in 1953 when it was called the Screenwriters Guild. I feel so much more educated. So that was awesome. And uh, Nick, this conversation has been awesome. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I love to be and I, and I educated you. about, you know, saw Palmetto. I got educated about writer strikes. <laughs> I now understand that, you know, the billionaire boys and girls club likes to have hats mm -hmm. that have no labels so mm -hmm. they can look like coffee shop patrons. I think I learned that mm -hmm. microaggressions will continue to exist as we're, we'll hypersensitivities oh, and that we no. should all just get along. You know, I know you know oh, where those th th that came from. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can we all just we, get along? We learn, oh, yeah, exactly. We, we learn about Apple Vision Pro and how mm -hmm. it's going to make our wives appreciate us more because they will mm -hmm. understand that when we're engaged in cellular phone foolery, tomfoolery with bent over. No, I'm not <laughs> going to go there because, you know, you, you got in trouble with your algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, the Apple Vision Pro is going to change things for us because it'll be a platform. Uh, and I think we also learned that, you know, AI, for better or for worse, is here. Um, and I think the best thing for people to do is not fear it as much as they need to learn to understand it. You know, so the more they understand, leverage the less they it. Will fear. Yeah, leverage it and be able to control it to whatever degree you are capable because of your new understanding. So there was a lot. Yeah. There was a lot in this conversation. And, and, and yes, there was, sir. And just know this that we didn't mention before. You're not going to be able to control the resetting of the market. It's too big. And so there is a sense of pachinko. Is that the name of the Price is Right game? Where you put the dial at the top plinko. and you kind of plinko. Thank you. Jesus Christ. What did I say? Uh, plinko. So, so <laughs> there is going to be some of that, right? Where you just hope that the, that the disc lands in the slot that you're in, you know? Mm. there will be some scary times because the whole thing is going to reset value systems are going to reset. But the best thing you can do is to leverage, I think all the tools that you have to do the thing you love the most and do what's in your control. Because the only other option I can think of where the world stays the way it is now or pre chat GPT is if you have some terrible dictator come in and literally shut everything down, including your liberty and freedom. And we don't want that. Like the, like the other side of like going back is terrible. Like if you imagine it's yeah. terrible. No, um, we, we by the way, move, we will move forward. The name of friend. that, the, the way of the name of that fashion trend we were talking about, talking about the beginning is called quiet luxury. So I do have that term now for you. Quiet luxury, mm. the quiet luxury movement mm. or the quiet luxury trend. Anybody can Google that. Feel free to Google that. 
And that's what I'm exploring right now. Quiet luxury. Mm. And I thought saw palmetto was a supplement used to relieve constipation. Uh, but now I found out it's a tree that you can use the stems of to cut your own hair. Um, you guys could learn more about Bonsai Creative by going to www.bonsai.film. You'll find everything there from our marketing services, which are excellent and unique and one of a kind, uh, as well as everything about this podcast, the Make It Podcast, a top 2% podcast in the world. Super proud of that. And we just keep growing. Thanks to great listeners like yourself. You can find this podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts. And of course, on our YouTube page, Nick, what is the URL again? You got www.youtube.com slash at make it podcast. Boom. Go there. Please subscribe. Uh, we appreciate it. Love you for life for that it means the world to us. And we'll just keep pumping out good stuff. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can contact me on Twitter. I am at flame in your heart. You're spelled you are so flame in you are heart. Uh, or you could just search for Chris Barkley and I should just come right up. If you want to reach out to Nick, you can email him at nick at bonsai.film. And that's spelled B-O-N-S-A-I. I still see people spell it with a Z. B-O-N-S-A-I. And just drop Nick a note. Let him know what you think. And then, uh, of course, you can always reach out to us on social. That's at underscore bonsai creative on Twitter and on Instagram. And we reply to every DM, every comment, every message. That's our That's our promise to you. So with that, Nick, can you please leave us with the credo but of course to our friends our family and our followers out there be better be creative be engaged and thank you for listening nick talk to you soon yes sir we'll do it again man all right peace be good all right brother peace peace you've been listening to the make it podcast For more information about this episode, please visit our website at www.banzai.film. If you haven't already, you can subscribe to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts by searching for Make It, Banzai Creative, and the show will pop right up. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at underscore Banzai Creative and on Facebook and LinkedIn by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative. In addition, you can provide feedback to us via email at contact at bonsai.film. You now have the opportunity to support the production of this podcast. If you love Make It and are a true fan of what we are trying to accomplish in the indie film community, please consider supporting our Patreon page. We spend a combined 35 hours a week producing each episode. We do this with a small team of go-getters that are passionate about film and connecting people with similar interests across the globe. And we have lots of goodies in store for our supporters, including bonus content, exclusive swag, and discounts and freebies to private film events. If that sounds like something you can get behind, Donations start at only $5 monthly. And, of course, if you're looking to take a big step toward your film's financial success, go to www.banzai.film and click on Services to explore our unrivaled approach to film marketing. You have everything 
to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.